Welcome to the Princess and the Bee podcast, the place to be to build your empire as queen of your body, business, and life. I'm your host, Kimberly Spencer, founder of crownyourself.com, and I'm an award-winning coach, Amazon best-selling author, and multi-passionate entrepreneur. Each week, I give you the systems, strategies, and success stories to help you master your mindset, communicate with ease, and triple your productivity so you make the income and the impact you deserve. Imagine this podcast as your weekly spark of inspiration as you take it to the next level with all the bees of your life, body, business, bank account, boys, and babies. Let's make it rain. Hi, hi, hi. How are you, Deb? I'm swell. What's happening, Kim? Amazing. Oh, oh my goodness. So much gloriousness is happening. It's fabulous. We're about to have this interview. I just want to make sure all of my things are off Facebook dings or if I have any tabs or browsers open. Great. Um, so how is everything going with you? Good. I'm excited yeah. to explore with you today. Oh, this is going to be good. I am like ridiculously looking forward to creating some magic. Is there anything that you in particular want to promote or speak on or anything like that? I'll turn this off. Hello, hello, my amazing princess and the beers. We are back with another powerhouse woman. This, I stumbled upon this group, which is the Conscious Leadership Group, because of one of the previous interviews that I had had. I had on Tirza Shirai, and that interview, um, and Tirza is the founder of Blink Bar, and she has grown a $30 million valued company within the span of like three or four years. And she blew me away and I had to know her secret. And one of the top things that she said was this book called The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. I immediately devoured it and thus became appropriately obsessed, as I hope you will too, with the Conscious Leadership Group. And my guest today is one of the coaches and consultants on with uh, with the Conscious Leadership Group. And I'm like already stumbling over my words because I'm so excited to be speaking to this amazing woman. Deb Katz has more than 20 years experience pioneering new models in conscious leadership in the organizational world. She coaches leaders one-on-one, -on -one, facilitates teams, and consults for organizational and cultural transformation. She is known to radiate warmth and presence to speak directly and tell it like it is. I always love that. And to walk her talk with a focused and gentle fierceness. Deb is a powerhouse of a human being and a leader. And man, when she, when you start hearing the wisdom bomb she's going to drop, it is she's going to knock your socks off. Deb holds a BA in sociology with a focus on collective behavior, organizational development from San Diego State University, and an RN from Cabrillo College with years of practice in cardiac and hospice care. She also has training in somatic psychology and the Enneagram, proud Enneagram 8 right here. When not coaching, consulting, or nursing, Deb is likely to be dancing or taking a walk in nature. Deb lives in Portland, Oregon and travels to the world to spread conscious leadership and walk and dance on new ground. And she's got some exciting uh, things to tell you about at the end of this show for all my Portland listeners. So stay tuned and stay live and present till the end. Deb, welcome so much and profoundly and like exuberantly for, to the princess and the bee. Mm, thanks so much, Kim. It's great to be here and with your listeners. So tell me, how did you get started in the field of conscious leadership? Um, 
Every time somebody asks me that, I have an opportunity to tell a new story. <laughs> um, last night when I read that question on your, your intro email, I, was, I wondered which one I would tell. <laughs> um, so I think today what I'll say is that there's the, something about truth and justice has been important to me since I'm sure I was in the single digits of age, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the kid that was always looking out for other kids. Um, and then that really sort of formalized in, in my experience in college with my undergrad and studying collective behavior, organizational movements, particularly riots, revolution, um, and protests, and how that looks and translated at that time in the late part of the 20th century. So from there, um, from being a student and an activist, I moved into the political arena. And from there, (laughs) moved into the spiritual arena. And now sort of in the business and the place where all those vectors meet, where individual meets system, meets spirit, meets business, um, so that's, that's today's version of the story. That is such a fascinating story of pivots, um, just moving from politics into leadership or spirituality and business. I mean, all of which combine into the human experience. So tell me what is specifically conscious leadership and, and what is it not? Oh, that's a great question. Well, at the Conscious Leadership Group, what we do is um, provide a toolkit for our leaders and our teams to get really, really good at really two things over and over again, <laughs> and a whole toolkit to really practice these two, these two things, which is, can I be with, can I notice what's happening here and now? That's what we might call conscious, Mm -hmm. not being in the meeting I'm about to have, uh, not being in the meeting I just had, not being uh, caught in the traffic it took me to get to this meeting, not caught up in making sure I get to pick up my kids on time after work, but actually being right here, right now. That's what we would call conscious. And then the second part of the tool is, can I accept or allow what is here and what is now? Mm. And as a leader, in terms of the conscious leadership formula is, one of my favorite definitions for leader is one who's willing to step into the unknown. And can that one who's willing to step into the unknown take responsibility for their impact in the world? Mm. And one of the the pivotal points in the book that is was literally it it had me cheering I was I was fist pumping at at night in bed reading this book because I was cheering for the concept of a to me leader versus by me leader can you explain that sort of consciousness and how that applies to the level of presence that, that leaders come to the table with and how they experience the world. Yeah, absolutely. This is a model that we borrowed uh, with permission and deep gratitude from Reverend uh, Michael Bernard Beckwith, if you're familiar with his work in the Agape Church. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just an incredible model that suggests most of us, most of the time, are operating from a state of consciousness where we have this experience that life is happening to us. It's happening at us. Mm -hmm. And so then we wind up operating in this reactive state only all the time, reacting to how we perceive life, life happening to us. And what we're putting our attention on in the conscious leadership group is supporting the transition from a to me consciousness where life is happening to me or at me, Mm -hmm to a by me consciousness 
where we recognize that life is actually, we're actually co-creating, we have agency only all the time and how we are perceiving and being with what is happening in the moment. And the tool, you know, we created the, uh, um, Jim Deathmer and Diana Chapman and Kaylee Warner Klemp, the authors of the 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership, created these 15 sort of landmarks in the map of our own inner terrain of how we can identify if we're in a to me, meaning life happening to us, or in a by me state where we really have responsibility. And that is the number one shift move. And that's our first commitment is through taking 100% responsibility for whatever is occurring in one's life. That's how one of the hows, how we can really shift our perspective from feeling at the effect of all the time or trying to compensate from that and trying to control, right, all the time, depending on our personality style. Mm -hmm. And so that big shift move from a to me, life is happening to me, to life is also actually happening by me and my perception is what is it, what would it look like to take 100% responsibility for the situation that I'm complaining about? Mm. That is so good. And it's, it's one of the concepts, it's very similar to one of the concepts that um, I've talked about with many of my clients and many of my listeners um, from NLP of being at cause for your life versus being at the effect because it's, it's an either or equation. And that's why I love the simplicity that the 15 commitments book brought out of you are either above the line or below the line. Can you explain that metaphor a little bit more in depth? Mm, yeah, absolutely. Another good question. I'm just really appreciating, Kim, your um, familiarity with the body of work. It just makes the conversation so juicy for me. So it's great to just <laughs> be doing this with you and hopefully with the listeners too. Like I said, Deb, I was nerding out over this book. <laughs> I actually was just quoted in an article for on like one of the number one, what is the number one book a teen girl should read? And I said it was the 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. Because I want more women in particular, but men too, um, I want more leaders, like mm -hmm. true conscious leaders, not dictators, but true conscious leaders. And I, I told Lainey over at the Conscious Leadership Group, I said, I'm just going to be your biggest promoter. <laughs> uh, yeah, Lainey's our operations guru. And yeah, I bow to her every day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's awesome. Yes. Okay, great. So this is our tool. And I want to, before I go into describing it, I want to acknowledge that the tool itself, as described in a book that you hold in your hands, or if you look at one of our videos on our website, we have these great three, three and a half minute animated videos that I love. Everyone we show them to just loves these videos. Um, so the tool, I just want to describe that the tool is a binary tool, right? You just described it. There's a framework that is called above the line or below the line. And life does not happen in a binary Petri dish. So this, for the sake of simplicity, for the sake of really beginning the journey of, can I notice, right, going back to the question of what is it to be conscious, can I actually notice what is occurring right now? If we can apply that question to ourselves, which in fact is the first question of conscious leadership, which is, where am I? And that question directs us to the vernacular we use is, am I currently in this now moment above or below the line? And what that means is it's jargon for, again, most of us are operating most of the time from a fear-based or threatened state. Mm -hmm. And we call that or closed or contracted in, to some degree. That's what we call below the line. And, you know, you can open up your email and you see someone's name, a client, a friend, a colleague, um, a potential colleague, a potential client, and you see their name in their inbox and immediately your nervous system reacts and you have adrenaline or cortisol dump. Right there, that can be a moment of excitement. It can be a moment of fear. 
It can be openness. It can be contraction. Many times it's contraction for me. <laughs> and that's when we can just notice, whoops, I just might, I just went below the line. I just perceived through that, through the zeros and ones on the screen, seeing this person's name, I just went below the line. I just contracted. Not a problem. Just noticing it. Can I notice what's here and can I allow it to be? And that contrasts with the terrain, what we call above the line. And that again is jargon for, am I in a state of trust? Mm -hmm. Am I open? Am I curious? Am I willing to step into the unknown? In fact, most of life is occurring in the unknown and bless our survival and coping mechanisms for trying to make everything known so we can feel more safe, more secure, more in control, or getting the approval that we're all so hungry for. Mm -hmm. But in the, war, in the terrain of the unknown, everything is actually perceived as for you, somehow of service to your opening, to your learning, to your growth. So those are the two ways that the binary sort of tool that we use, and it's the question that all of our teams, all of our leaders are asking throughout the day, sometimes eight, 10 times throughout the day, where am I right now? So maybe your listeners right now, and you and I, Kim, mm -hmm. we can even take a moment just to check in, take a deep breath and pause. And just ask yourself in this now moment, am I in a contracted, less than present, in the future, in the past, fear-based state? Or am I open, right here, right now, trusting? knowing that there's no right or wrong answer to that question. It's just a location question. So to all my listeners, where are you? And I think, Deb, you pointed out something. You just said something that was one of the number one things that made me fist pump in the air, not in, like in bed. Like, and that was... It's not a right or wrong mm -hmm. position. It's not a right or wrong placement. And yet the number one thing that puts people below the line is the desire to be right. And it's not necessarily, um, it's, it's something that I, I, and that was the number one takeaway of like looking at, okay, the desire to be right because the ego wants to hold on to this specific identity. And so sometimes where you are on that placement, if you're holding on to that identity of like needing to be right about your circumstances or your struggle or all that, those questions can put you below the line. Would you agree, Deb? Yeah, it's so, it, it really is one of our prevailing coping mechanisms and even survival mechanisms at this point, I think in the early part of the 21st century, that the ego does perceive being wrong as a threat to survival. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't want to make that right. And I don't want to make that wrong. I just want to be, get with many of us perceive in our work situations, in our family situations, that somehow if we are perceived as wrong, maybe we won't get the recognition from our colleagues or from our clients that we want. If we don't, if we aren't perceived as right or correct, then maybe we won't get that client. Maybe we won't get, maybe our kids won't get in the right school or on the right soccer team, or we won't be viewed by history as being on the quote right side of history in certain events. Mm -hmm. So I want to acknowledge that that occurs. And in fact, commitment number two really puts attention on this, which is as conscious leaders, we actually get disinterested in who's right and who's wrong. And what we're more interested in, because the right-wrong conversation just continues to polarize us, mm -hmm. right? So let's say you and I work together, Kim, and we both read a report and the report simply said two plus two equals four. And I'm just going to simplify this. And let's say that based on the report that said two plus two equals four, you think the best thing, the best strategy for the team to pursue is in direction A, B, and C. 
Now I read the same report and it said two plus two equals four, but the way I perceived it, I developed a strategy that was X, Y, and Z. So if I think I'm right inherently because you think A, B, and C, I've just created an environment for conflict and drama because I think I'm right and you think you're wrong or, or I think you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And so right there, I've set the stage for a conflict. I'm not available for a collaborative environment because I think I'm right and I think you're wrong. So we can keep doing that like we've been doing for centuries, but what conscious leader, leaders are interested in doing is it's less about being right and it's more about curiosity. What can I and you, but I, I don't really get to say what you do or don't do, that's not my business, but how can I get curious about what I can learn and what we can learn as a team that is going to be of service beyond your position, my position? How can I show up collaboratively such that right and wrong don't even play into the conversation? Mm-hmm. So good. So good. Yeah. And it serves us at the boardroom. It serves us at the kitchen table. And in my opinion, it serves us at, you know, bigger tables, even at, you know, city political levels, national political levels, international political levels of if we can let go, well, not let go, but if we can notice that we're in a survival mechanism about rightness and wrongness, and that we can sort of accept the role that that state of consciousness plays and actually get more interested in learning than we are in being right or making anyone or anything else wrong. Now we may strike new territory and that's what I'm excited about. And I think that's what the conscious leadership group is excited about seeding in the leaders and teams that we work with. And I think to speak to my listeners, um, a common belief that I see with many of my clients holding on to is the belief that that this all has to be a, a hard or that starting your business has to be a struggle. Right. Or, and so, and, and the problem is when you're holding on to that belief and then on top of it, you have the belief that you need to be right. Well, what's going to manifest into your reality rather than if, what if you were open and curious about the possibility of having success be easy? What if you were open and curious and approached it from this childlike state of wonder and fun? How much faster or at least how much easier could it be for you? Right. And again, I'd say the number, like the first shift in the formula that I hear you describing, Kim, is just to have the awareness so to not just be in the forest right Mm -hmm. but to be observing self in the forest and to just have that awareness of you know f man i think this is really hard you can drop an f-bomb deb (laughs) like fuck i i i'm watching myself white knuckle this contract negotiation i'm watching myself white knuckle the conversation of conflict between my cfo and the, the uh, distribution network, um, fuck, man, I think this is hard. And then to have the moment of awareness, you know, I'm just snapping my fingers. It can be that fast just to be like, oh, I notice I am having thoughts that this is hard. First question of conscious leadership, where am I? And can I just let that be? Oh, I'm making this hard. And to offer self some self-acceptance. That's which is the second question of conscious leadership is, can I just accept myself for where I am? Can I bring a breath of acceptance and spaciousness to the part of my humanity that is perceiving a threat? And from that place, what most of us experience is a de-escalation inside a moment where high stress let's say it at you know at a, at a stress level 10 or a 7 out of 10 something like that if i can just bring awareness to wow i'm making i'm really perceiving this is hard i'm having a hard time can i just accept myself 
for my humanity right now. People tend to notice they ratchet down. They just have some acceptance for themselves. That's the shift. That's the first shift is de-escalating yourself. So many of us are going home at the end of the day, putting our heads on the pillow, dreading or somehow stressed in some way, right? About getting up and doing the same thing over again tomorrow. If you can bring some acceptance, can I accept myself for being triggered or drifting out of presence? I spoke sharply to my kid today. I spoke sharply to my direct report today or to a, a client. Can I just accept myself for the humanity here? Mm. People's nervous systems start to relax. And the nervous system relaxing is part of what allows more space and possibility to rise rather than the rigidity, right? Of white knuckles yeah. through the whole thing. The push, 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 push. I got it. I got it. I got it. And one of the things that I love looking for and that you can, you can, you can assess in your own self with that level of self-awareness is your language. If you're gotta ing if you feel like you have to, if you feel like you should be someplace else, but you're not there yet, that is where the level of awareness comes in. Look at your language to ask yourself, where am I? Am I being the victim of my circumstances? Am I being the villain of my life or am I being the hero? And I use that specifically, I use that language of victim, villain, hero, because I learned that from the 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership, which I believe, Deb, it goes back to Dr. Stephen Cartman. Was it Cartman? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, who, who developed this, this sort of being at effect, being in a to me state of consciousness, being, feeling like the whole world is happening to you in some way, that villain hero consciousness is like this trifecta of reactive states. <laughs> and I would love for you, Deb, to explore and give some great examples because you're fantastic with them um, as, as how each one can, can play out. Yeah, that's so great. Yeah, so I think it, I'm now not sure. I can't remember now if Stephen Cartman was a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but he, as best I know, is credited with having developed this model. Uh, I think it was in the 60s or the 70s where most of us are operating in this to me mindset or state of consciousness most of the time. And he described these three flavors of victimhood, which you just pointed to exactly, is that um, and this is, there's all kinds of situations where we could be on any one of these flavors of victimhood, hero, villain, or victim at any time, or combinations. So I could be speaking from a hero villain or from a, a villain victim at any given time. But what the suggestion is, is that, and our, we see this in our media, our books, mm -hmm. our um, TV shows, our movies, even around the kitchen table and certainly around the boardrooms. Um, is that depending on a given moment, we could be speaking from a place of um, villain, we'll say villain first, and that the villain has their, and I'm pointing my, my pointer finger right now, they've got their arrow of blame pointed outward, blaming the political system, blaming the CFO, blaming the soccer, the kid's soccer coach, they did it wrong and they should have done it different. And that finger of blame can also be pointed itself right? I should have prepared better for the presentation last week. Um, I should have dot, 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 fill in the blank, right? I didn't. So the finger of blame lets you know that you're in a villain state of consciousness and it can be pointed outward or inward. Generally. And I think, mm -hmm. I, I want to make sure our listeners really heard that language that you use. I should have, I should have, he should have. Just, pay, just give great note to how, how Deb is using the language from a to me state of consciousness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it can be, you know, blaming Medicare for X, Y, and Z, blaming the government for X, Y, and Z. Um, that's how you can recognize your posturing around blame. Um, and then the hero part of the, the drama triangle, as we call it, um, 
also want to give credit to the Hendricks Institute, where many of us at the Conscious Leadership Group uh, became familiar with this as well, um, that the hero part of the drama triangle is the dun da da I've got my cape on and I can fix this. Yes, of course I'll stay you know, at work an extra hour or two because the project didn't get finished, even though you know, my, I haven't seen my kids in three days. Um, of course, I'm gonna, and, and, and I'll get it done. I can fix this. And in fact, other people may not be competent enough to do it, so I'll do it. I'll be the one that'll get do it. The hero perceives a problem and that they can fix it and that the problem needs to be fixed. Now, I just wanna jump across the line for a second. When we're above the line, conscious leaders don't perceive problems heroes and villains and victims also, when we're in that triggered state, we perceive problems. When we are in a non-triggered state, we perceive opportunities or simply, not only opportunities, because I don't want to make lemonade out of every lemon. <laughs> there's a way to be with what's occurring without pathologizing it. And when we're in that hero state, there's a pathology and it needs to be fixed. Mm -hmm. And then the victim is the one who's perceiving this happening to me. This is like, well, I can't, or I already tried, but it didn't, or <laughs> I couldn't, or I don't know how, or I'm confused, right? And you can sort of hear me dramatizing um, the different voices. And we love to play with this. This is not about amputating the part of us that's a hero or a villain or playing the role of victim. It's about embracing and being with what is. Back to that first sort of premise, the foundation pillar here is, can I just notice what is occurring? Oh yeah, I'm blaming the political system. I'm blaming the CFO right now. Okay, great. Can I accept myself for my humanity right now? Can I just accept and bring a breath of, you know, what I like to call loving acceptance for myself for perceiving mm -hmm. the threat? So that's what the drama triangle looks like. And in our work, which we like to call play, is we ask our clients to ham that up. If any of you know that Jerry Springer show where people are kind of throwing chairs all over the place and getting ridiculous, we like our, we invite our clients and ourselves as a practice group also to just really um, exaggerate and amplify the voice of, oh man, I can't believe I just really fucked that project up. Man, I, and not just do it on the inside, you know, like these internal voices that just give us agita and stomach aches and mm -hmm. we want to go home and kind of kick the dog, hopefully only, <laughs> you know, metaphorically. Um, but to just let that energy out in a conscious way. By just acknowledging, hey, you know, I'm triggered. I'm on the drama triangle right now. I just need a minute to just let it rip and blame the heck out of so-and-so. Knowing that I'm just doing my work there, I'm bringing this to awareness rather than simmering. Mm. I think that that's, that's something, one, one of the commitments of conscious leadership is, is play, is mm -hmm. the, the having that sense of play and the how can you play on that that par those parts of you that you don't really like so when i was way before i even knew about the 15 commitments of conscious leadership or anything like that but when i was struggling with um, my eating disorder a decade ago i remember having a moment where i separated myself from my behavior and i it was a it was a interesting sort of like omniscient view of seeing the way that I was acting in this like self-destructive, just like blaming everything. And I was like, Ooh, that's behavior that I'm not really crazy about, but I accept that I'm doing that at this moment. Mm -hmm. And when I had that almost like a vision of seeing it just be amplified in this ridiculous manner of like drama, that's why I love that you call it the drama triangle. I was like, Oh, I don't really want to, I don't, Hmm. I can acknowledge that that's, that that's there. And I can also acknowledge that I have the power to, to shift as well. And, and I think that that's something that when you approach it from the place of like an anthropologist, 
where you are studying the human behavior of yourself. It's an anthropologist isn't studying their, uh, their, I'm at a loss for words for the, it's not a species, but they aren't studying their, their person for, you know, with, uh, from a place of judgment, they're studying them from a place of curiosity and observation and, ooh, they're reacting to this situation in this specific way. And that's an interesting um, form of human behavior. And that's an interesting way that they're choosing to go about that. And it's, it's not from that place of, of blame at yourself either. Like, and that's, that's especially for my high achievers, like we're very skilled at blaming ourselves a lot of the times. And that puts you in that space of being the villain of yourself. That's right. And what you're pointing to, I really appreciate also just the sensitivity of what you're sharing and the awareness. And I think you're pointing to something I would call um, a spiritual or existential awareness, Mm. which is, I am not my thoughts. I am not my words. Um, and I'm not my behaviors. And that's sort of the backdrop that this awareness practice can, be, can bring into the foreground, is that oftentimes we're operating from below the line, out of some survival or coping mechanism we developed with good reason. I really want to highlight that, the intelligence of our coping mechanisms that we developed to survive the environments we all grew up in with or without trauma, mm-hmm. that there's an intelligence to these aspects of thoughts, behaviors, and statements that from below the line, we may be creating results we don't want to repeat. We may be creating results we're even complaining about. And what we do in the Conscious Leadership Group is when we take responsibility for the results we're creating that we're complaining about, we play with it on the drama triangle. We don't ask about, this is not an amputation process. Again, this is an acceptance process. And so we really support our clients getting what is the intelligence of the pattern. And when we start asking, you know, doing the processes that we do with our clients and teams, people really start to get the essence, the gem of the pattern, although it is currently operating from below the line or from uh, a threat-based place, the intelligence of the pattern, when we're properly seated in center, the intelligence of that pattern can now be operationalized from above the line, from, from a trusting place. So I might have a persona right, let's say for, or I might have a a part of me that shows up on the drama triangle to make this practical that says, um, you know, uh, I like to be in control, right? And Mm -hmm. I might, um, from a triggered state, try to be controlling my team. Um, Maybe micromanaging, um, or maybe because I want to be so in control, I just review everything and micromanage from behind the scenes, however I do it. From below the line, it's because there's not trusting. But once I recognize what's the essence of the part that's controlling, well, maybe I might discover there's something exquisite that this controlling part of me lives in devotion to. Wow. (laughs) Wow. And so now what would it look like to live in devotion to an exquisite expression of our team and our mission, what would it look like to stand in service of that rather than the the fear-based place, which is, um, I gotta control all of this, which is not sustainable, you know? People don't like it, I don't like it, nobody likes it when I'm controlling. (laughs) But if I can get to the heart, and it isn't by amputation, it's by acceptance oh, okay, great, controlling is really a survival mechanism for a high standard of exquisite devotion to mission. Great. Who's not going to get on board with that? Mm-hmm. That is, I mean, that is so, that is, I hope you all wrote that down. Like, I really hope you all wrote that down because when you look at those pieces of yourself that, may not be the behaviors that you love. 
one of the presuppositions of, of NLP is that people are not their behaviors. And so you have the power and the capability to be able to, to shift and see where that pattern came from. One of the, the things that I, I wrote about in my book, Mindful Meals, that on my, about my journey with recovering from an eating disorder is I saw that my, exactly what you said, to put it in a practical sense, like that, that desire to control my emotions came from such a deep place of really real, having to realize how deeply I feel mm. and allowing myself to, to feel that and to be able to give that empathy as well to, to others and serve others with that, that depth of feeling of being able to understand on, on that visceral level, what the, the magic that, that I was trying to control and where that came from. Exactly. Exactly. And that really takes us into the third question. There's four questions of conscious leadership I'm driving with today or being driven by. <laughs> is what you're pointing to exactly is, the, you know, after I um, ask myself, where am I? And then I hopefully can bring some acceptance to myself for being where I am. The next question is, am I willing to shift? And I want to preface that with saying there's no right answer to that question. It's not better to shift. It's not worse to not shift. We just want to be with what is. And the process of just facing what is, no, I'm not done blaming the CFO yet. Okay, great. Let's explore the intelligence of that. And we would explore that. Um, willingness is not wanting. It's different. Mm. Wanting, right, is of course, I imagine if any of you've, you know, been thinking about any complaints you have in your work or personal lives today, um, I imagine you want that situation to change. Wanting it to change. You may have been wanting it to change for a day, for a week, maybe some of those situations you've been wanting to change for years. Wanting is not the recipe for actually the shift. A willingness needs to be there. And we can do lots of explorations with the distinction between wanting and willing, lots of exploration. But if there is a whole body willingness to shift, all the shift we're talking about now is, am I willing to shift from a fear or threat-based state of consciousness in myself around the situation to one of trust? Am I willing to step into the unknown? Am I willing to buy the ticket to the movie before having seen it and know if it's good? Am I willing to step into the unknown? And then the fourth question is, if you get a yes, yes, I am willing to shift, how will you shift? So those are, that's really sort of the cornerstone, these four questions of conscious leadership around acknowledging, naming, accepting, playing with, right? Making it bigger, bigger than you've ever made it before, mm -hmm. in a friendly environment. Um, and, 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 you know, looking in the mirror and doing the work, doing the play, facing, you are the elephant in the room you're not speaking of. Your own beliefs, your own behaviors, your own thoughts, those are the elephants to face. Not what anybody else is doing or not doing. <laughs> yep. But playing the ball when it's on your side of the fence. And that's the game we're playing at the Conscious Leadership Group and in this game of Conscious Leadership. What's happening right here? And I think you, you touched on it so beautifully. Um, one of the number one things that I see with a lot of my listeners and with my clients and with my, my members of my community is they just want to get off their own back. And they know that they're in their own way. Yeah. And that's why this provides such a beautiful formula to really break it down. And I would love just to, to touch on for um, a second, the diff a practical example of the difference between wanting and willing. Mm. Because, um, and, and being willing to change, there is a, a phrase from the book, A Course in Miracles. It's, it's about having... It's, God, I'm willing to see this differently. 
It's, it's just opening up the possibility that your perspective can be a different perspective. It's not necessarily a good, bad, bad, right, wrong perspective. It's just there, it, it's having a willingness to see things differently, having a willingness to have a different perspective or a different behavior. So could you touch on the, a, a little bit just on, on the difference between willing and, and wanting, specifically yeah. with some examples of, of what wanting can look like? Yeah. Okay. So I'm sitting in a chair right now on this call with you, and maybe some of your listeners are sitting down too. So right now, I, I, I just shifted gears inside myself, and I want to stand up. So maybe all of you could want to stand up too. So over here, I want to stand up, but what I notice is nothing's happening. I'm still sitting here in my chair. I haven't organized myself to stand up, although I really want to. I'm not kidding. I'm like, I'm not even playing a game right now. I really want to stand up. I'm sitting cross-legged. My knees are a little stiff right now. I actually would like to stand up, <laughs> but I'm not. There's just the wanting of it and an attention on a frustration that it's not happening. Just gonna add that as a sidebar. Now what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna shift, I'm gonna check and see if I'm willing to actually stand up. I don't know if this is gonna mess up your sound, um, but I notice I do have a willingness and how I know I'm willing is from head to toe, all of my cells are starting to kind of, um, I can feel in me, I'm ready to stand up and I'm willing to stand up and I'm actually doing it. I hope this doesn't mess up our sound, but here I go. I just stood up. And so, you can tell the difference from the sound. I mean, that's a great example. Okay. <laughs> okay so, and now I'm sitting back down because I hope it's not screwing with your, your oh, sound. But, nope, you're perfect. But I want to just, that was a really graphic example of the difference between I want to stand up and I'm willing to stand up. There's, an or, there's a way self organizes itself when willingness is here. And many people will find that on a somatic basis. And I encourage people, it's part of my coaching style, to check in with what's happening in the body. In the 7 billion cells of the universe of Deb or Kim or Jake or Diane, who's ever listening here, in the 7 billion cells of you, or is all of you willing to shift from fear to trust around the issue you're complaining about? And if three cells in your pinky toe, if a thousand cells in your left hand are like, eh, no, not yet. I encourage you to go with the no, I'm not willing. I still want to blame the CFO. I still want to blame the client for not having met their side of the agreements while they're yelling at us for not meeting the deadline. That your no is so important. There's an intelligence to that. And if we skip over it, you'll repeat the pattern somewhere else. And we're interested in sort of sustainable interruptions of patterns. So we honor the no. So that hopefully can describe a little bit more practically, Kim. Uh, that is such a, it's a fantastic example. And, and I love the fact that you went to the body specifically. Um, that was where, you know, being a Pilates instructor for 10 years that I, I started out with learning the body and seeing the micro muscle movements in the body. And you can tell when somebody doesn't want to do something and when someone is really willing to move forward. And it's a physical shift that you can feel. So normally we go into some rapid fire, um, but we're going to keep it a little short because I know Deb has some amazing things. She really, really like you're going to want to attend, be there and hear what she has to share about how you can stay in contact with her and how you can keep up with the conscious leadership group and stay on your game as a conscious leader who is constantly consciously developing and evolving. Mm. Um, but first, before we do that, one rapid fire question. Great. How do you crown yourself? I'm here. I, I just am really trying the question on right now. And the first image that came to me was, um, I crown myself 
um, every day meditating. I crown myself every day putting attention on filling the cup right here, making sure I'm well resourced so that the cup overflows and there's so much more available for uh, those in my life. So my meditation practice, dancing every day, walking through the forest, um, good conversations like this. Uh, that's it. That filled my soul. Um, Deb, I have loved this interview so much. Where can we find you? I know you have a workshop coming up on September 26th, and I know uh, you are and the Conscious Leadership Group, um, not you yourself, but the Conscious Leadership Group will be in LA in October. So can you tell us more about those events? Yeah, it's actually, um, so our website, which I know you make available, is uh, conscious.is. That's where you can find the Conscious Leadership Group, conscious.is. And have your, you know, all of you listening, we've got so, we've got open source, so many materials for sharing videos, handouts. You can find access to our book on the website. In our events page, you can find the events that Kim was just mentioning. Um, it's a half day event happening here in Portland called A Taste of Conscious Leadership. It's a great intro exposure to, um, more of the skills and real-time practices of what we do in the Conscious Leadership Group to support leaders and their teams having a shift in their awareness and their practice every day. And that event, uh, there are many events happening. I know there's in LA, there's here in Portland on the September 26th. I think there's some in Chicago as well and uh, the Bay Area of California upcoming. So you can check our events page and check our resources page lots of resources there on our website. So thank you so much, Deb, for coming on The Princess and the Bee. Now, my fellow kings and queens, be sure you go to conscious.is, check out the events. I will definitely be at the one in October. Um, I have to check my schedule. Deb just told me about it like right before this interview. So, but I'm pretty sure I will definitely be there. And so if you want to meet up and go there. Let's do that. And as always, remember that your reign is now. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If what you heard resonated with you, be sure to subscribe and share your breakthroughs and ahas with me by leaving a review on iTunes so I can keep the magic flowing your way. And if you aren't already following us on social media, come experience the extra inspiration and queenly convos on Instagram at crown yourself now or visit our website at crownyourself.com. I am so excited to connect with you in the next episode. And in the meantime, go out there and create a body, business, and life that rules.